This is Bradcast producer Desi Doyen. We're off today, so please enjoy this encore broadcast recorded on August 26th, 2022. My friends, we offer a starkly different vision of this country, a vision of a better America that's within our reach, that's within our hands, if we just vote. Vote? Now there's an idea. And by the way, where'd that guy come from? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It is and it isn't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM People Powered Radio in LA, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe for your listening convenience on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast that we are figuring out even as we begin it. Hi, Desi Doyen. How <laughs> are you? Are Doing you in okay. one piece today? I am, I am sticking it together, trying right, my there best. There you go. Lots to uh, make sense of today. We wish us all luck. When we originally booked today's guest, we had actually hoped to catch up with her at summer's end uh, after a whole bunch has happened since she was last here, uh, as well as a whole bunch of stuff to look forward to now in the weeks and months ahead as we near the critical midterm elections and Lord knows what else. So we've got a lot to discuss with her today about a whole bunch of stuff. But of course, uh, we didn't know when we booked her that this would be yet another historic day that we might have guessed because pretty much every damn day these days is some sort of historic uh, day in some fashion in these decidedly unconventional times in which everyone's conventional wisdom, pretty much about everything, is now largely out the window. Thankfully, as we have been uh, telling our listeners to forget about conventional wisdom in these times these days. It's like that Chinese curse come true. May May you you live live in interesting interesting times. times. I could do with a little less interesting. No kidding. Uh, Anyway, what we had hoped to talk to uh, uh, our guest about, and still will, Uh, Since uh, the last time she was on with us, which actually was not all that long ago, 
Uh, we have seen the passage of a landmark Democratic health and climate change spending bill, which nobody saw uh, as, as even having a chance at being introduced, much less passed and signed since she was last here, along with a whole bunch of other legislative and political victories that largely were not even on the horizon back in mid-July. The GOP primary electoral defeat of Liz Cheney in Wyoming, who had previously been the number three Republican in the U.S. House, crushing electoral defeats for anti-freedom, anti-choice advocates at the ballot box from the red state of Kansas to a conservative congressional district in the blue state of New York. Suddenly changing fortunes for both Democrats and President Biden in the lead up to this year's critical November midterms. The landmark forgiveness by executive order of some $300 billion in federal student loans for about 40 million Americans. And, of course, among those and many other things, the unprecedented FBI search at a former president's home finding sensitive national security documents, hundreds of them, and implicating him in, among other things, violations of the Espionage Act, obstruction of justice, and, of course, the Presidential Records Act. And, well, given the breaking news on Friday, we need to start there. On Friday, the Department of Justice unsealed a redacted version of the affidavit used to obtain a warrant to search Donald Trump's home, office, office and storage spaces at his Mar-a-Lago compound in South Florida on August 8, based on probable cause that highly classified documents were being unlawfully stored there in violation of at least three federal criminal statutes. The 38-page affidavit was... Uh, highly redacted to obscure specifics, according to the DOJ's previous court filings of ongoing investigations, the identity of witnesses and the sources and methods of intelligence gathering used to determine uh, that the stolen documents were being unlawfully stored at Mar-a-Lago, quote, constituting evidence, contraband, fruits of crime or other items illegally possessed. DOJ. Uh, previously said that the redactions to the affidavit were needed to protect, quote, the safety and privacy of a significant number of civilian witnesses when they filed their initial motion objecting to the unsealing of the affidavit. On Monday, uh, the DOJ filed a motion uh, a previous uh, Monday uh, uh, objecting to the unsealing of the affidavit and noting, quote, disclosure of the government's affidavit at this stage would also likely chill future cooperation by witnesses whose assistance may be sought as this investigation progresses, as well as in other high profile investigations. Well, OK, the bulk then of the unredacted portions of the document that was unsealed on Friday much of it uh, blacked out entirely, but what wasn't blacked out, uh, much of it focused on what was found among the 15 boxes of material previously retrieved prior to the FBI search in early August uh, from Donald Trump by the National Archives and Record Administration, or NARA, after they had attempted quite politely and quietly to get those documents and materials back from the former president for many, many months, almost a full year, in fact, before the National Archives finally made a criminal referral to the Department of Justice after becoming alarmed at finding so many classified documents 
among the returned materials and evidence of documents that should have been there but were not. As described in one unredacted portion of the redacted affidavit unsealed on Friday, quote, from May 16 to May 18, 2022, FBI agents conducted a preliminary review of the 15 boxes provided to the National Archives and identified documents with classified markings in 14 of the 15 boxes. A preliminary triage of the documents they write with classification markings revealed the following approximate numbers. 184 unique documents bearing classification markings, including 67 documents marked as confidential, 92 documents marked as secret, and 25 documents marked as top secret. Based on my training and experience, this uh, uh, redacted person uh, who wrote this affidavit. The affiant. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, writes, I know that documents classified at these levels typically contain NDI or National Defense Information. The unredacted portion of the affidavit goes on to cite several different locations within Mar-a-Lago where more such documents were known or believed to be stored, including, quote, the storage room, F. POTUS's residential suite, F. POTUS's former POTUS, former president of the United States, Pine Hall, the 45 office and other spaces within the premises which the uh, affidavit notes are not currently authorized locations for the storage of classified information or NDI, National Defense Information. Similarly, they write, based upon this information, I do not believe that any spaces within the premises have been authorized for the storage of classified information, at least since the end of the former president's administration on January 20. 21, as described above, evidence of the subject offenses has been stored in multiple locations at the premises. As to those offenses mentioned, the affidavit notes the search of the premises would include collection of, quote, all physical documents and records constituting evidence, contraband, fruits of crime, or other items illegally possessed in violation of 18 U.S.C., Section 793, 2071, or 1519. Those offenses, of course, we've discussed several times in detail on this program, including with National Security Journalist Marcy Wheeler last week, but essentially it includes the Espionage Act, obstruction, and the concealment or destruction of government records, including those owned by the U.S. under the Presidential Records Act, which essentially covers all records, you know, touched, shown to, written by, read, received, etc., by the president during his term of office. Whew. Joining us now to uh, make sense of that news, uh, just breaking within the past couple of hours, and, well, likely a whole bunch more today, is our old friend Heather Digby Parton, known to many simply as Digby, proprietor of the long-running Hullabaloo blog and longtime regular award-winning columnist for Salon.com. So, Heather, you were kind enough to be our go-to analyst joining us on the show following eight different House January 6th committee hearings in early summer. We gave you just a few weeks off as the committee completed <laughs> its, uh, you know, its first series of hearings 
And now look what happened. <laughs> Things seem to go very well for the nation, I'm noticing, when you don't come on the show, Heather. <laughs> but welcome back anyway. Well, thanks for having me. And I apologize. <laughs> so <laughs> It's all my fault. <laughs> well, you know, since the last time you were here... Uh, as mentioned just over a month ago, we learned about a whole new major crime that you and I did not even know existed, I believe, the last eight times that we spoke on air <laughs> about Trump's crimes throughout the January 6th hearings all summer. Uh, so, okay, uh, we haven't talked to you since the search. Uh, what, if anything, have you learned just in the last couple of hours first since the release of this uh, redacted affidavit uh, for that search at Mar-a-Lago? Well, I think, I mean, I think there are a couple of things that we learned. I mean, there isn't a lot because obviously the, we don't, what we did learn specifically mm -hmm. and expected to learn, I think, if they were going to release any of it, is, you know, what the, that first 15 boxes, what about that made the hair on the back of their neck stand up and mm -hmm. go, oh my God, you know, this is, we've got to, we've got to pursue this. And, th and what it turns out is that they found in the first 15 boxes that Trump turned over, and by the way, turned over apparently after rooting through them personally mm. mm -hmm. um, in, at Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. He turned over 15 boxes to the, to the National Archives, and in it were 184 classified documents, <laughs> some of them with the very highest classification. And at that point, the National Archives went, whoa, you know, we've got a problem. And it appears that what they also saw was that there were missing documents in series, right? Mm -hmm. You know, there'd be a, pages one... I'm assuming this. Uh, it's not listed out in the affidavit, but this is the only logical thing that you'd see a, a series of, 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 you know, document mm -hmm. pages one of you know 22 or whatever, and there'd mm -hmm. be missing within there. So they're going, what what's that about? So they referred it to the to the Department of Justice, mm -hmm. and you know, very gently compared to what would happen to you and me. Yes. I mean, let's just, if we yes. had been working in the White House and they suddenly found we were storing a bunch of the most highly classified, you know, classification yeah. of documents that exist, we'd have a problem with the Department of Justice pounding on our door the day they found out that it was there, right? Yep. So, but this is a previous president and we all, you know, blah, 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 you know, it's a very delicate political situation. We don't want to be a banana republic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, so they decided very gently to say, you know, gee, would you mind, you know, maybe take another look? We, need, we think there's some more. And Trump at that point just completely stopped cooperating. And, you know, they were sort of, you know, hedging. He had these strange, you know, lawyers who really obviously didn't know what they were talking about, responding and being very, you know, if not obstreperous, they were being obstructionist and mm -hmm. kind of saying, well, you know, the president had a, you know, he can declassify documents if he wants to, things that were really irrelevant to the he, question at hand. Irrelevant because he can declassify, but he can't steal them. I mean, no. even if they were classified. <laughs> and this is what, uh, Heather, uh, you know, and I don't know if there's any clues on this offered in, in the affidavit, uh, but since we haven't spoken to you since all of this broke, it's kind of shocking that for the past couple of weeks, the same question has come up. He was given all of these chances to return these documents time and time again, and he didn't, and he refused to. And so the question remains, what the hell was he thinking? Why did he do it? Why was he hoarding these documents 
at Mar-a-Lago even after the National Archives and then the DOJ and then a grand jury subpoena and then a personal visit uh, you know, from the DOJ's top counter-espionage guy saying pretty pleased. All of that failed to get him to turn over all of these documents he took from the White House. Do you have any sense? Uh, either from the affidavit today or from, you know, whatever we've learned over the past couple of weeks, what the hell this is all even about? Are we any closer to understanding that? Well, in that regard, I don't think we are any closer. I mean, that is the big question, obviously. What in the world was he doing with these documents? What, what, was, what was the purpose of it? And there's so much. You know, it's not just like a couple of things. Hey, I think in the beginning we sort of thought, well, maybe it's a couple of mementos. Yeah, like the and love letters he, from Kim Jong-il right. or whatever, right. Kim Which Jong-un. Is, yeah. Exactly. Which was also a terrible thing because there, who knows what kind of intelligence could be gleaned from some mm-hmm. of that as well. But nonetheless... You know, the the idea that that maybe he just took a few things that just sort of meant something to him personally. Well, I mean, these are hundreds of documents. This yeah. isn't this isn't just some little thing and, and from from the some of the bare clues that we have about what was in them from the search, which, you know, w- have been you know, have been published, we know there was, you know, information and something to do with Roger Stone and a pardon and uh pre- French president Emmanuel mm-hmm. Macron and a whole, you know, I mean, it seems as though this covers a gamut of things. And now we know that some of the stuff that was in there was actual, you know, human intelligence. I mean, this is stuff that puts, if any of that had been found mm-hmm. or, you know, taken by someone, or if Trump decided to, uh, quote, share it or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, cough, sell it, cough, <laughs> um, you know, whatever he planned to do with this stuff. I mean, very, well, very dangerous stuff. Is that, I mean... You know, you have to think that that is either what he was going to do or he's just so stupid that he actually thinks, oh, I'll just keep this stuff around for a momento, uh, mementos, despite the fact that he was told, you, you know, he is dumb enough that maybe he does think, oh, I'll keep these because, you know, that time Barack Obama sent me a, a letter when I became the president. I want to keep that stuff. But he was told time and time and time again. And yet it's still unclear, Heather, whether he actually understands the law or i don't know if you saw this um on on thursday i believe this was this is in advance of the release of the redacted affidavit trump was sort of shouting all sorts of things from his uh uh his social media his website truth social hoping i guess to get someone's attention one of his tweets they're called truths on his dumb website since he was banned from twitter but One of them said, uh, quote, the radical left Democrat prosecutors are illegally trying to circumvent for purely political gain the Presidential Records Act, under which I have done absolutely nothing wrong. It cannot be circumvented for me or any other president. They illegally raided my home, took things that should not have been taken. They even broke into my safe, an unthinkable act. So... Is it my imagination, or does he seem to have the Presidential Records Act exactly backwards? <laughs> I mean, it, it, you know, the law it was adopted in 1975. The wake of Nixon's corruption uh, establishes that all records touched by the president during his term belong to the American people to be cataloged and stored by the National Archives. But that, you know, sort of brain fart of a comment from Donald Trump... <laughs> sort of seems to suggest that he thinks the Presidential Records Act means that he gets to keep any of those presidential records or something. (laughs) 
It can, does. I read that one too on Thursday and uh, kind of shook my head. I'm going, can he? Is, is it possible that he really doesn't understand how that part of it works? <laughs> but you know, I mean, I suppose it is possible. And in fact, you know, look, I mean, we've been talking about this all summer, right? Did he know that he was breaking the law? Did he know that he was staging a coup? Did he know that he didn't win the election? I mean, this is all the big question about mm-hmm. him, and it ends up being that the big the defense of Donald Trump ultimately is always, well, he's just too stupid to know better. Well, I mean, he was the president of the United States, and he's the front runner for the Republican nomination. So if that is his defense, that he's just too stupid to, to understand something as basic as the Presidential Records Act um, means that all the, the, <laughs> the documents belong to the uh, American people and are stored at the National Archives, well then, you know, I mean, maybe there needs to be a new law passed about some kind of, you know, mental competency <laughs> test. I would hope is, so. <laughs> you know, this is absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, I, I actually find it hard to believe that he is quite that stupid. I mean, he's very dumb about a lot of things. Uh-huh. But I think that he actually does understand this, and he's just dancing as fast as he can, which is yeah. what he does. In these, when he gets into a jam, he just starts throwing everything out there and, you know, kind of... And he's even said it, you know, I, I quoted this many times in my column, a comment that just really stuck in my head. It was during the 2018 election, and he was holding a rally. And it suddenly uh, occurred to him, it became obvious, that he might, that the Republicans might lose that election, and he mm-hmm. might lose the Congress. Mm-hmm. Of course, we know what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said to his big, cheering crowd there, he said, you know, it's possible maybe that we might lose, but you know what? You, you're wondering what I'm going to do. Well, you know what? I'll just figure it out. I've, it's what I've always done in my life, and it's always worked out okay. Yeah. So it's like, you know, this is how he just jumps from one thing to the other. I don't think it, he ever has. This is one thing I think people misunderstand about Donald Trump. There is no strategy. <laughs> he's not thinking through anything. What He's just, you know, and he's a very lucky guy. I mm-hmm. mean, I think you have to give him give yeah. him that. I mean, the guy's been very lucky in his life. He's and never he had any consequences to, whatsoever exactly. in his life. And, and, and he just so he doesn't have to he doesn't have to think ahead because he just figures that when something happens I'll deal with it you know I'll figure it out I'll yeah. I'll I'll, I'll, wor- I'll worm my way out of it and that's where he is right now but he's in a very uh, you know difficult situation that he's never been in before for one thing he's got the full force of the Department of Justice of the United mm-hmm. States and no more protections down on him. yeah and yeah and and he doesn't have the the protection anymore of being a being the president, and I think that's something that has really escaped him, perhaps up until now. And you he know, really thought, I'm sorry. Oh, no, 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 go ahead. You, uh, I, I was just going to jump in and say, I, I think that um, he is playing dumb, personally. I mean, yes, certainly he does say stupid things, but I'm not sure that that's an actual real misunderstanding. I think he's being like the old mafia dons that used to pretend to be mentally unstable uh, when they right. were on trial. Yeah. And so what he'll do is he'll latch on to whatever he thinks will keep him out of trouble or will mm-hmm. uh, deflect and redirect the conversation. He's, he'll never, ever, ever admit error and i think he is smart enough to know that he should have concealed these documents so he, he I be- should have right. concealed yeah, that he had that he should not give these documents up he knows enough to figure out what documents to take what documents not to give up and what documents to fight for well, i think there's and, a there's a method to that madness. actually uh, there are no documents that he is allowed to take right none whatsoever but he decided to take them anyway and has been told repeatedly that that's illegal so he did that on purpose now, says I, me i i've heard from uh, some of the super geniuses that we watch uh, you know in the knee jerk 
cable TV punditry business uh-huh. that the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago has actually been great for Donald Trump and his yeah. political fortunes. Now, frankly, I don't buy that in the least, and it sort of seems like another attempted uh, Jedi mind trick from the uh, Republicans, kind of like the uh, the so-called blowback about Biden's student loan forgiveness, which we'll get to in a bit, I hope. Uh, but am, am I wrong about that? Is, is this somehow good news for Donald Trump, Heather? <laughs> No, and I couldn't agree with you more. When I when I was watching, <laughs> in fact, a friend of mine who listens to NPR all the time, you know, good straight mainstream, mm-hmm. you know, political, you know, observer, mm-hmm. um, was stunned when she heard when this story broke. When she heard the first thing coming out of their mouths was how this was benefiting Donald Trump and Donald Trump's reaction to it. It's like you know, is she said to me, "Is that really the most important thing about this?" Mm-hmm. And of course it isn't, you know. But but he has this this somehow this this ability to um, you know to I think people think that he's kind of a magician, and, and in a way I suppose it's not surprising because he is. Uh, has managed to, as we were just saying, worm his way out of every problem from, you know, the time mm-hmm. he was a young kid, basically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe, maybe you can understand that, that they're going, okay, how's he going to break, how's he going to worm his way out of this one? You know, that's sort of the, the first reaction. But in this case, it's really, really absurd because Donald Trump, who apparently, you know, he has now bought into his own hype that he is still the president, the legitimate president. Right. And he's basically like Napoleon in exile in Elba, right? He's a president in exile at Mar-a-Lago. And, but somehow or another, he convinced himself that that meant that he was, you know, that, that he had the same protections he had as president. Um, and and, and it, that has given him this, this kind of sense that he, that they can't touch him because of his position. He's the head of the Republican Party. He's going to run again. He was the president who was denied his second term, blah, blah, blah. And so he, he actually was just, I mean, kind of incredibly foolish in the way that he handled this. Because had he done, you know, had he just done it the way that, that, anybody you know normal would have done it aside from not taking them in the first place mm-hmm. would have been to say oops my bad big you know and confusion it, in the last days and a lot of stuff got put into boxes sure. i didn't know Oopsie. about it here you go and nobody you know i mean they gave yes, him yes he still could have been held liable for doing that but uh-huh. nobody would have held him liable for doing uh, they gave him one chance after another yes. after another i've got to get to a, a quick break here and i want to move from our from our old ridiculous president to our new, uh, newly uh, uh, invigorated invigorated president. <laughs> yeah, I- I- after this break. But so very quickly, uh, sort of two somewhat predictive questions, uh, speculative. Feel free to uh, ignore them if you like. But any guesses, uh, any speculation as to who the supposed insider mole is who reportedly tipped the uh, DOJ off to all the documents being stored at Mar-a-Lago that were not turned uh, over back over to the DOJ back in June when, you know, what we'll describe as Trump's lawyers signed a certification saying that that's it. That's everything Trump took. Everything has now been returned to the DOJ. Any idea uh, who that insider? That's my first uh, predictive question for you. Um, well, I originally I had sort of thought I, and I had read some speculation that it was a Secret Service agent who mm. actually cared about the 
you know, the security of the country mm. as much as the security of Donald Trump and Mar-a-Lago. Um, but the, the affidavit sa- suggests that at least one of the um, people who've been working with the FBI on this, what they called them, and they say, said it was something like 18 different civilians or whatever. Yeah. So the, the word civilian suggests to mm. me that it's not. I mean, I have to assume it's somebody who works closely with Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago, right? Yeah. I mean, and there are plenty of staff members that do, and he's probably got secretaries and various assistants and people like that so who knows but uh, other than that i honestly don't have a clue all right well i hope it's uh driving him crazy at this point oh Although, you know it is not not a long <laughs> drive i guess uh and the, the sort of the last question uh for this block last predictive question uh, so of all of these many ongoing sort of crescendoing investigations of trump all seemingly coming to a head with the stolen documents at mar-a-lago the bank tax and insurance fraud probe by the New York Attorney General, the criminal conspiracy probe by the Fulton County District Attorney in Georgia investigating his attempt to steal the 2020 election in that state. And, of course, the seemingly almost forgotten at this point January 6th insurrection investigation uh, in both investigations, I should say, in both Congress and the DOJ. Uh, Heather Digby Parton, any idea which which I, I don't even know if it can be quantified, but which one of those is actually the worst <laughs> news for him at this point? Well, I think the worst news for him at this point is the one that's happening right now with these records down there. And here's the reason: you know, nothing shows more chutzpah and gall than this man, the man who led the lock her up chants for the last mm-hmm. five years saying that Hillary Clinton would needed to be put in jail for what was she accused of? For mishandling classified information. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this guy did what he did in light of that, it's almost too much to bear. And I have a feeling that anyone beyond just the totally brainwashed cult members have got to be feeling, any um, Republicans, mm-hmm. I mean, got to be feeling a little bit uncomfortable about that. So on a political level, I think this one hits him in a way I mean, it shouldn't be that way. It should be the coup, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. that's the worst thing he ever did. But this one hits just, it's simple and easy to understand, and it is so incredibly galling that he would have done this under the circumstances. By by way of reminder, the uh, lock her up chants were for uh, Hillary Clinton, who was sent on her private email three documents that were marked with the C on it for confidential, which is the lowest level of classified records. Nothing like what has been uh, obtained from uh, Donald Trump here. Let me take a quick break. We'll come back with more Heather Digby Parton uh, to discuss the current president of the United States and his Democratic Party and their seemingly quickly changing political fortunes at summer's end just before Labor Day, after which the midterm election season kicks into very high gear. And from the remarks of the president on Thursday night, it sort of seems like they already have lots to ask Heather about on that. Right after this, I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. 
Hey, this is Brad. You're listening to an encore presentation of the Bradcast. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We are still joined by our guest, the great Heather Digby Parton of Salon. Of course, Desi Doyne is here with us as well. As mentioned on Thursday night, uh, Joe Biden gave a stem winder of a speech, a barn burner, uh, which really kicked off the uh, the the midterm election uh, season for the Democrats uh, in a rally. Uh, he went on for 27 minutes and it was kind of um, well, let me play you a, a sample of it, and uh, and then we'll uh, get Heather's uh, thoughts on all of this. This is the uh, president on Thursday night in Maryland, Rockford, Maryland. Is that right, Dennis? Yes, at a DNC rally. There you go. Folks, we're just 76 days away from the midterm election. And to state the obvious, there's a lot at stake. So I want to be crystal clear about what's on the ballot this year. Your right to choose is on the ballot this year. The Social Security you paid for from the time you had a job is on the ballot. The safety of your kids from gun violence is on the ballot. The very survival of our planet is on the ballot. Your right to vote is on the ballot. Even the democracy. Are you ready to fight for these things now? Well, then you need to do one thing. Vote. Vote. And it's not hyperbole. Now you need to vote to literally save democracy again. I believe America's at a genuine inflection point. And Americans are going to have to choose. You must choose. Will we be a country that moves forward or backward? Will we build a future or obsess over the past? Will Will we be a nation of unity, of hope, of optimism? Not a nation of anger, violence, hatred, and division. Trump and the extreme MAGA Republicans have made their choice to go backwards, full of anger, violence, hate, and division. But we've chosen a different path. Forward, the future, unity, hope, and optimism. We choose to build a better America. This fall, there will be a choice between these two visions. And we're delivering for the American people now with American workers in American factories producing American-made products. We took on the NRA and we beat them. We just passed the first significant gun safety legislation in 30 years in this country. I just signed in the law the PAC Act to take care of those veterans who were exposed to those burn pits. I just signed in the law the Historic Inflation Reduction Act. We had to take on the big drug companies to pass this bill, and we did for decades. Big Pharma won, but not this year. The American people won, and Big Pharma lost. We also had to take on the climate deniers. And guess what? We beat them. For decades, these climate deniers blocked any meaningful progress in dealing with climate crisis. But not this year. This year, the American people won, and the climate deniers lost. For decades, the biggest corporations and the wealthiest Americans who fought to block a fair tax code. And for decade after decade, they won. But this year, they lost. The American people won. 
You'd think if the Republicans really cared about reducing inflation, they would have voted for the Inflation Reduction Act. Every single Republican voted against lower prescription drug prices, against lower health care costs, against tackling the climate crisis, against lower energy costs, against creating good-paying jobs, against the fairer taxes. Every single one. Every election is a choice. Well, the alternative to the Democrats are the MAGA Republicans. So how extreme are these MAGA Republicans? In red states, after red state, there's a race to pass the most restrictive abortion limitations imaginable. But these MAGA Republicans won't stop there. If the MAGA Republicans win control of the Congress, it won't matter where you live. Women won't have the right to choose anywhere. Anywhere. MAGA Republicans don't have a clue about the power of women. Let me tell you something. They are about to find out. They're coming after your Social Security as well. Do you want to put your Social Security in the hands of Ted Cruz and Marjorie Taylor Greene? But it's not just Social Security. That includes Medicare, veterans benefits, and everything else. These guys never stop. And we're never going to stop either. My friends, we offer a starkly different version and vision of this country, a vision of a better America that's within our reach, that's within our hands, if we just vote. If we elect two more senators, we keep the House and Democrats, we'll codify Roe v. Wade. We'll ban, we'll ban assault weapons. We'll protect Social Security and Medicare. We'll pass universal pre-K. We'll restore the child care tax credit. We'll protect voting rights. We'll pass election reform and make no, make sure no one, no one ever has the opportunity to steal an election again. We're at a serious moment in our nation's history. The MAGA Republicans don't just threaten our personal rights and economic security. They're a threat to our very democracy. They refuse to accept the will of the people. They embrace, embrace political violence. They don't believe in democracy. This is why in this moment, those of you who love this country, Democrats, independents, mainstream Republicans, we must be stronger, more determined, and more committed to saving America than the MAGA Republicans are destroying America. And we, the people, will still determine the destiny of America. If we, the people, stand together, we will prevail as we, the people. We just have to keep the faith. We just have to persevere. We just have to vote. Vote. We just have to remember who we are. We are the United States of America. And there's nothing, nothing beyond our capacity if we do it together. So let's get it done. God bless you all. And may God protect our troops. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That was uh, Joe Biden, uh, Sleepy Joe in Maryland <laughs> on Thursday night. Heather Digby Parton, where did that guy come from? <laughs> I don't know, but he's woke in the original sense of the word. Yes. <laughs> he definitely Man. is awake. Um, yeah, I, you know, I don't know, but it seems to me that Dark Brandon is rising here. Yeah. And I don't know if you've talked to your your audience about what darker the dark Brandon I, meme is. I have on not, but media. feel free. <laughs> okay, I'll try and do it in a nutshell. Okay, there's a, a meme out there done by the right wing uh-huh. called you know Let's Go Brandon, right. and it's on flags and mm-hmm. bumper stickers and everything. Mm-hmm. And what that refers to is a moment at a NASCAR race when there, the the people in the stands were 
were apparently chanting "F.U. Biden," uh-huh. and the um, the the broadcaster, the host who was hosting this, right. this moment, heard it and said, "Oh, isn't that nice?" They're saying, "Let's go, Brandon," who was the name of right. the race car driver who right. just won. The right wing has turned that into a metaphor for "F.U." Biden, mm-hmm. and it's all over everything. Well, the, the the left now suddenly on social media has come <laughs> up with this other, uh, this sort of re- retort to that called Dark Brandon, yep. and Dark Brandon is referring to Joe Biden, and it's usually done with a with a picture of him with these laser eyes, yes. <laughs> you know, coming out yes. in light of all the successes that he's had legislatively um, in the last in the last few months, yep. and particularly really, the passage yeah. of the... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's been an, a, a rather stunning success story. I mean, honestly, and I, and you know, I'm not one to just, you know, I'm not a big Joe Biden, you know, pat on the back kind of person, but I, I am really surprised that under very difficult circumstances with a very, very narrow majority, dealing yep. with divas like Cinema and Mansion... Right. And, uh, you know, having to come up against a very low approval rating and a right wing that's gone completely nuts out of its mind bonkers. Yep. Uh, he, this administration has managed to pass a whole lot of really important big legislation. And in some of it, uh, a good part of it, bipartisan. Yeah. I mean, which no one would have expected that anybody could get done. And it's not just him, but, you know, the Democrats in Congress have been, you know, unusually effective uh you know i mean kind of whoa where'd that come from you know yeah, say the same they? thing about You're chuck right. schumer you know um but yes. in any case you know what has happened is here coming up to the end of the of the summer mm-hmm. going into the fall campaign we're seeing evidence and and it's not just because you know joe biden has accomplished a bunch of things although i do think that that has had an, a galvanizing effect the real galvanizing effect has been you know what the right has been doing, particularly the Supreme and Court with the uh, you know with the abortion ruling and this assault on democracy, which the January sixth committee, as we have documented, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know very uh, thoroughly over the past uh, few months, has sort of brought up this threat to democracy as being an important issue, and and as well as guns after the, the horrifying mass shootings this summer. So you've got this sort of confluence of events that have happened between some very positive news by Dark Brandon, our yes. President Joe Biden, yes. as well as this, you know, this backlash to what's been going on on the right. And I think, you know, what surprised me in watching the the rally last uh-huh. night and seeing, I didn't see the whole thing, I saw it all in, in clips and on uh-huh. YouTube, was the fact that this crowd... <laughs> You know, I'm going. Wow, that sounds almost like like a like another kind of rally we watch. You another know, guy, people. Yeah, very, yeah, the former guy. A very excited people. Now, granted, it was DNC rally. You know, it's not like just a bunch of strangers at right. the mall or something. But th- you just don't see feel, see that kind of enthusiasm. And when you look at the results of these special elections and the fact that Democrats are way overperforming what anybody would have said just a few months ago in going into the fall campaign with special elections and primaries and the you know ballot measure like the one in Kansas the abortion measure which mm-hmm. was a landslide um, in favor of abortion rights I can see why he's feeling his oats and you know you got to give the old guy credit because his approval ratings are in the dirt and they're starting to tick up a little bit maybe he's up in the low 40s now but well, well, that's not great but there he is out there 
He's fighting like hell, and I, you know, he's not he's not pulling a Trump and was stomping around pouting over it. Let <laughs> me let me tell you, Desi Doyen was more exhausted trying to cut that twenty seven speech, <laughs> twenty seven minute speech down to six than he was delivering it <laughs> at eighty years of age or whatever he's at. Yeah, that, and, I, and I think he did a fantastic job of drawing that very stark contrast between yeah. Republicans and Democrats. I mean, all the stuff that he's accomplished, let's say, just in the fat last week uh, or month or so. All of that stuff has been stuff that's been blocked for decades by Republicans. Medicare not being able to negotiate prescription drug prices, climate action, guns, health care, all of that he was able to get done in just a short period of time, sort of showing, hey, look, if you do this, then we can overcome the Republican obstruction that has prevented all of this stuff for decades. Heather, you argue in your uh, piece at your column at Salon today after detailing uh, uh, Biden and the, the Democrats rather, you know, extraordinary accomplishments that we've mentioned here, really uh, extraordinary by any historic measure, just to get so much of that done over the past month or two. But you argue the biggest problem for the GOP is, of course, the Supreme Court ruling overturning Roe v. Wade and its previously constitutionally protected privacy rights and reproductive freedoms, essentially that the dog has finally caught the car, and now the GOP has no idea what to do with that car. You cite, by way of evidence, the Trump-backed GOP nominee for U.S. Senate in Arizona, Blake Masters, who has apparently now removed all of his radical stuff on abortion from his website this week, even after previously running this ad when he was uh, back when he was hoping to win the GOP nomination. There's a genocide happening in America. Under Roe v. Wade, the federal government recognizes a right to kill babies in the womb. And so every year, hundreds of thousands of young lives are destroyed. 30% of black babies are aborted in this country. We're talking 20 million babies since 1973. We got to get back to not killing babies. That starts with overturning Roe. I'm Blake Masters. I'm running for the U.S. Senate in Arizona. And I approve this message because life is always worth protecting. Well, I have a feeling he's not going to be running that ad anywhere soon. Uh, Heather, uh, for, first, uh, why is that ad for a guy who, you know, running for a U.S. Senate seat in Arizona shot in a scary cornfield? <laughs> yeah, I think he's trying to be a regular guy, but everything about that ad, people should go to YouTube and watch it, because he looks really scary, too. I mean, yeah. this guy is a real, I mean, he's something else. He really is something else. And he's running down there in Arizona against Mark Kelly. And, you know, this guy is, that is, he's a totally cynical phony, as are many of these people, particularly the ones that, that uh, Donald Trump endorsed. You know, Oz and, you know, Dr. Mm -hmm. Oz in in Pennsylvania and J.D. Vance in Ohio, this guy, Blake Masters, down in in Arizona. And they all took these very, very far-right, you know, radicals, anti-abortion zealotry as part of their agenda in order to win those nominations, and they won them pretty handily. And what it illustrates is, is that, you know, they, they jumped on that before the you know, the Dobbs ruling from, mm-hmm. the, from the Supreme Court. But nonetheless, you know, they stuck with it. This is what they did to win their primaries. And now 
they are having to face the fact that they are way, way out of the mainstream in their swing states. These are, you know, these aren't, you know, this isn't Mississippi. Well, let's just put it that way. I, you know, places where that kind of rhetoric can win them uh, elections I, in a general election. This is very, very radical stuff. And, and, you and they're all starting to, to back off. And, yes. and you can see... You know, and I don't think it's going to work. I mean, the Democrats should just run that ad, as far as I'm concerned. You know, <laughs> buy time and run that ad. Well, you um, suggest, Heather. Yeah, go, go, to highlight no, that. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, you, you suggest that the abortion issue is going to haunt Republicans, not just for the midterms, but over and oh. over again as one state after another grapples with the mess they've made for themselves. You see this as a long term problem for Republicans, not just this year. I do. And, and it's a problem, you know, in two ways. It's a problem because it's way out of the mainstream, and they're stuck with these. You know, it's it's one thing to just be able to. They, they let their their you know their zealots, their anti-abortion zealots, run around for years, saying the most, making the most grotesque claims about abortion. You know, remember the whole baby parts yeah. thing oh, yeah. that they did. You know, you remember all that, and, sure. and, and just then doing personhood laws where you know a, 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 they have the same you know uh, legal rights as as a human being from the moment of of fertilization. Which I mean, Blake Masters a, was a champion uh, he for was those a, He was part of it. He was yeah. one who endorsed that. Yeah. And, you know, this is the kind... They went They went way, way out there. They let these people just take the most extreme positions. And they pushed it into the mainstream of the Republican Party. I mean, which didn't used to be... I mean, you remember, they didn't used to be this extreme. And, in fact, it's only in recent years that they've adopted this no exceptions for rape and incest or health of the mother. I mean, these are, these are very extreme positions that were never held... By even by the mainstream of the Republican Party until recently, so they just let them do that because they had Roe versus Wade to protect them. As long as that was the law of the land, they could say whatever they wanted, get their people all fired up, pretend to have some kind of moral, you know, standing. Um, but they don't have it anymore. That's been stripped away. The Supreme Court didn't do them any favors with that because now they are left with this. They are left with a party that has committed itself to a very, very radical position on abortion rights, and it is way out of the mainstream of the way Americans feel. Even people who, many of whom consider themselves pro-life, don't believe in this sort of, you know, extreme, you know, no exceptions in the case of rape or incest or things like that. So, you know, they they have backed themselves into a corner on this, and I do believe it's going to haunt them for a long time to come, because look what happened. It got thrown back to the States. That's 50 different battlegrounds they have to fight on mm-hmm. this. Yeah, and I and think I they, used to th- they... I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish. Well, I used to think that that was, that was more of a problem for the pro-choice side because they would have to put resources into state after state and do mm-hmm. that. But I, I, seeing it unfold the way it has and their radicalization just in the past few years, their extreme radicalization on the issue, I now see it as a bigger problem for them. They, this is just not going to be popular, and it's going. To, and Democrats are going to run on it. If you look at what happened in that race, the special election up in New York, in New York 19, mm-hmm. uh, where this guy Pat Ryan um, beat the Republican, this was a Republican that was kind of a, you know, sort of a middle-of-the-road kind of guy mm-hmm. who didn't have the extreme position on abortion but you know he's a member of the party that does and, and, and it's Ryan gonna beat him yep it's gonna taint all of them in yep. all of those states including a lot of states that people consider to be red states you know like kansas 
we could see some uh we could see we don't know we could see some stunning numbers uh some stunning upsets even happen uh, in november heather i've got only a minute or so here but i want to make sure to hit this uh because you know people are looking oh the democrats fortunes are are going well now oh until biden screwed up by giving away uh, all that money, $300 billion, to uh, forgive student loans. Can you explain to me, Heather, uh, why giving anywhere from $10,000 to $20,000 to in, in forgiveness for these loans to some 40 million low- and middle American, uh, middle-income Americans, many of them disproportionately African-American, can you explain to me why that is a bad thing for Democrats and Joe Biden? Because, boy, that sure is what the Republicans and Fox News and, yes, even on the non-wingnut uh, news outlets uh, have been telling me for the past 24 hours since Biden announced this executive action. Why is that a bad thing? And is there anyone who is so mad at, at him about it that they were otherwise going to vote for him or the Democrats, but they just won't now? Absolutely not. There's nobody who would do that, who has, has their mind changed by this. And, you know, more importantly, Joe Biden made this as a promise in the campaign. The Democrats promised that they were going to do something about this. This is the fulfillment of that promise, and it's actually a good one. They, you know, he, he went the extra mile on it and actually did a, a bigger um, program than I think people expected, doing some things that are super important to virtually everyone who has student loans in capping the monthly payment at 5%, and then they'll write off the debt at 10 years and 20 years, depending on your circumstances. These are really, really meaningful things to people in their real lives. And uh, to me, the, the, the furious reaction by the right and the right-wing media to this suggests that they know that, too, and ah. that that is why you're seeing this. You know, they think it's a, it's a, it's a slam dunk. They're <laughs> trying to you know, change the narrative to it being terrible for the economy. And I, I don't think it's going to work. I mean, this is a program that, that Democrats ran on, that Biden won 7 million more votes than Trump on. And, uh, and I couldn't be more thrilled, to tell you the truth, that he actually did it and that I think it will help him. You know, there are a lot of young people out there. And by the way, there's something like 4 million people over the age of 60 who are carrying $40,000 really? in, in school loan debt. Wow. Uh, so there's a bunch of other people, yep. too, who are going to benefit from that's this, not just young people. I sort of uh, referred to this earlier in the show as a Jedi mind trick. And yeah. here's the thing. These Jedi mind tricks, they work when uh, folks on the left, Democrats, etc., believe it oh no they're complaining they're saying this is a bad thing don't buy it don't repeat it don't uh you know uh pass it on as if it is real they're trying to get into your head it's nonsense yep uh, and by know. the way dark brandon and his white house did not do that and they came out throwing it right back in marjorie taylor green's face and all these in you know Rob yes, they did. all these people who took the ppp loans they're out there naming names i i mean i'm stunned at how aggressive that they was are throwing it and back. how effective it is. Yeah, hey Marjorie Taylor Greene, why did you let the government forgive 1.4 million dollars in PPP loans that you took out? Stuff like that. They are not backing down Dark Brandon uh, for the future. <laughs> Heather, I gotta get out. My thanks as always. I suspect we will uh, talk to you soon when the uh, uh, new January 6 hearings begin again, in theory. In some point, at some point in, in September, I will look forward to that. You can find her work, as always, of course, at salon.com and at digbysblog.net and on the Twitters at digby56. 
Okay. Thank you, Heather. Always great catching up. We will be talking soon. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You bet. So, yeah, I know. I blew through the last break again. <laughs> I've been doing that a lot lately. Well, we haven't, yeah. There's just so much to talk about. We haven't uh, spoken with her. It's only been a month since we spoke to her, and <laughs> I didn't even get to half the things on my list that I wanted to ask her about. Usually, because she was, of course, the first person I thought of. You know, we've been bringing her on for years. She was with us the day that Donald Trump came down the escalator. Correct. June 16, 2015. We usually bring her on for the big moments in the pre- and post Trump presidency and the when it was happening uh, presidency yep. we've always brought her on so I immediately had thought of her she was on uh, vacation uh, taking some time off over the summer so this was our first chance to bring her back on and uh, as you can tell we had a lot to catch up with yeah mm. there's plenty of history going on that we're getting our front row seat at right now speaking of vacation we're going to take some time off ourselves until after the Labor Day holiday some very much needed uh, time but let me uh, say this by way of warning. That means that there's going to be all sorts of terrible things that happen <laughs> over the next week. Donald Trump will probably be indicted, uh, thrown well, in jail. Well, we never know, but lots of stuff does tend to Lord happen when we're not when here. when we're not here. <laughs> uh, we would come back and talk about it, but I will be locked into a cave underground. Off uh, the grid. <laughs> off the grid for just a few hours. Pretty please. Uh, anyway, just want to let you know, we're fine. We will see you soon. After the uh, holiday break, uh, when, uh, well, it's back to the September, uh, ba- back to the uh, uh, January 6th committee hearings, back to the uh, midterm elections Oy. in full uh, at that point. So buckle up. Lots ahead. All right. Got to get out. My thanks again to Salon's Heather Digby Parton, to our fantastic producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always appreciated. It is always an honor. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, we make them all available for free. No paywall ever at bradblog.com. So you can download them, share them with your friends, family, enemies and everyone else. Thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us uh, fill up our Prius over the next week or so. Greatly appreciated. Bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me an email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. Maybe I will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. listening to the Bradcast. We are 100% listener supported thanks to listeners like you who stop by bradblog.com/donate. I'm Rick Smith and this is Labor History in 2. On this day in labor history, the year was 1839. That was the day that the Amistad sailed into Long Island, New York. The Amistad served as a Spanish slave ship. 53 captives, led by an enslaved rice farmer by the name of Joseph Sink, had revolted against their captors and taken control of the ship. 
They came from what is now Sierra Leone, Africa. They had endured the brutal Middle Passage on a Portuguese slave ship, the Tacora. They had landed in Havana, Cuba, where they were transferred to the Amistad. From there, they were supposed to sail to a Cuban sugar plantation. The transaction was illegal. Most of the major slave destinations in North and South America had outlawed bringing in newly enslaved people. But since existing slave labor was still used in these areas, the illegal slave trade continued. On July 2nd, the African captives escaped their chains and set upon their captors before they could load their guns. They killed the ship's captain. The Africans demanded to be returned to Sierra Leone. The U.S. Navy intercepted the Amistad as it sailed up the U.S. coast. The Africans were thrown into prison and charged with murder. The case garnered national attention and made it all the way to the United States Supreme Court. Former President John Quincy Adams presented the defense for the accused. The court found in favor of the Africans. 35 were returned home. The others had died while incarcerated or at sea. The Amistad became the subject of a 1997 film by Steven Spielberg. And while the Amistad became famous, it was not the only one. Similar uprisings were attempted on hundreds of slave ships during this era. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on the Twitters at Labor History in Two.